0: Can I tell you, I love, uh, sitting up in the front and listening to your voices, seeing those songs, uh, those songs declaring that God never leaves us Amen. and, uh, just knowing, I don't, I don't get to know everybody's individual stories, but knowing some of the stories of, uh, relationships and faith journeys through this past year to be able to declare that God never once left us. (laughs) And that is Emmanuel. That's what we celebrate during Christmas, but not just Christmas, that God is with us. Psalm writer says, even if I make my bed in hell, God is with us. God is with us. Thanks be to God. Well, we're in the in the midst of the season of uh, table gatherings, and forgive me here if I if I start coughing. Uh, first service, I almost died. Um, so hopefully, I don't almost die again. Second service, my throat. I think it might have been just you know, the yelling at the referees last night. Was uh, yeah, it was. It took my <clears throat> it took it took everything in there. Um, we're in the midst of, of a season of table gatherings. Uh, some of us gather at large banquet style tables for our holiday gatherings, where it's so big that you can't even carry on a conversation. At one end of the table, with the other, we we celebrated Thanksgiving Day at the Litzkes. Some of you know the Litskys, but they have a large family, and and the table is 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 as long as the sanctuary. It feels like, but it, some of our table gatherings are these long banquet style tables, but some of our our, our table gatherings are, uh, you know, the, the little dinky, I think they call them like card tables. We don't play cards, of course, because that would, yeah. We, but, you know, if we were to play cards, the card tables, you know, the little square tables with the fourfold, you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what? Okay. Like, and, and they're like, they're not exactly the most sturdy tables in the world, like you set your heavy Thanksgiving plate on it and you're like, am I going to lose my holiday dinner or not? Uh, Some of us, we use makeshift tables of our laps because there's just no more room at the tables that we have. But in our gatherings, we gather together at these tables. It's a season of gathering at tables. The table is a place where we gather together with those that we hold dearest, And isn't it funny how those that we gather at the table with that we hold the dearest are oftentimes the same exact ones who drive us the craziest, right? Yeah, yeah, Uh, you can definitely say amen to that. The ones that we gather with at the table, the ones that we hold dearest, can sometimes be the ones that drive us the most crazy. It's a place where at least for a few minutes we can set aside the things that we disagree on. We can set aside the minor things like political differences. We can even set aside the major differences of opinions we may have, like how terrible officiating can ruin a single college football game. I'm not bitter, I promise. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'll be okay. But just for a few minutes at a table, we can gather together and we can set aside those differences that we may have. And at the table, we focus on what we have in common. Whether it's the blood relatives, the blood that is in common at our table, or whether it's just simply a gathering of people of common interest. At the table, we come together and we set aside those differences so that we can focus on the things That bring us together. This morning, we're starting a five-week series called The Table. We're going to look at our sacrament of communion. And as I say communion, you may hear me interchange communion and Eucharist and Lord's Supper and the table. All kind of meaning the same thing, the sacrament that we're going to partake in later today. But that's what we're going to talk about for the next five weeks it's it's the gathering of at the table of the body of Christ here in our local church that we are a family amidst all of our differences our different uh, different backgrounds and our even our different ideologies and our, our different thoughts and way we do life among, amid in spite of all of those differences that we gather together at this place, based on what we have in common. And what we have in common is that we together are the bride of Christ. That we together are pursuing this relationship with Jesus that leads us more and more to Christ-likeness. Now, I know some of you are uh, reading nerds. I try to be, like, I try to fake like I'm a reading nerd. And so, like, every, every year in the beginning of January, I'll be like, okay, I'm reading 24 books this year, which some of you might be like, that's, that's weak sauce. I do that in a day. But I, I try to set this goal, and it never fails. I get to December, and it's like, oh. You did like ten percent of your goal. Good job, Josh! Like, well done. I try to be a book nerd, but I but I'm not I'm not as good as I want to be. But anyway, if you uh, if you love to dig into to some theology, which I know that most of you do, like you just are dying to hear this book recommendation I'm going to give you. Um, we're actually kind of modeling this uh, table series after a book called Outward Sign and Inward Grace uh, by a guy named Rob Staples, and it's kind of just an, an overview of our Wesleyan as a Wesleyan church. Church of Nazarene that falls under a Wesleyan Methodism category, um, what we kind of view and believe about sacramental theology. So that's kind of what we're shaping our series on. So if you're interested in more in depth kind of reading, uh, we, we'd highly encourage you to check out that book. But communion. Is one of two sacraments that that we practice in the Church of the Nazarene, and so I'm going to start this off. Typically, when Pastor Paul assigns me to a a Sunday to preach, it's typically in the middle of a of a sermon series. I get the privilege of introducing this sermon series to you, and uh, and so that means all this like theological babble of whatever, like, and so I'm going to try my best to give like a very broad view and then kind of focus it down onto one thing that you can take away and try not to bore you, okay? All right. Um, So communion, one of two, one of two sacraments that we, uh, that we practice in the church of the Nazarene. The other being, this is going to be interactive. I'm going to quiz you. What's the other sacrament that we practice in the church of the Nazarene? baptism great excellent okay there are other denominations and other traditions that have other sacraments that they add on the Catholic Church has seven sacraments that they practice uh, the Eastern Orthodox holds to seven major sacraments but this is kind of a, a cool little thought they consider anything that the church does as the church to be sacramental which is kind of cool but regardless of regardless of numbers of sacraments we're a church of the Nazarene and so uh, I'm going to we're, we're talking about our polity and so we, we uh, hold to two sacraments, communion and baptism. Not that a certain number is right and we've got it all figured out and nobody else does, but that's where we're going to address this from. So what is a sacrament? Augustine defined it simply as a visible word. John Wesley, who we kind of consider to be one of our our church fathers, John Wesley, when he was uh, summarizing the Anglican Church's uh, Book of Common Prayer, which we kind of come from the Anglican line, uh, when he was summarizing the Book of Common Prayer, he said it this way. He said, a sacrament is an outward sign of an inward grace and a means whereby we receive the same. Now, think through that statement for me for just a second. And then we're going to unpack it. An inward, I'm sorry, an outward sign, something outside, a sign of an inward grace, the grace that takes place within us. But then he goes a step further to say, it's also a means whereby which we receive the same. Meaning that it's also a means of grace. It's a vehicle of that grace. So let's break that down just a little bit more. So when we're talking about sacraments, when we're talking sacramental theology, we're talking about a perspective that sees physical, sees the physical world as a potential vehicle or avenue of the spiritual world. That God can somehow work the spiritual through the material it sees matter or things or physicalness not as necessarily something that is evil, but as a carrier of grace. So think of it this way. In baptism, when we baptize someone in the water, the physical water, think about this, this is tough to comprehend, but this is powerful. The physical water in baptism is a carrier of the grace of, of Jesus. The when we participate in communion, the elements, the bread and the juice are not just physical things, but they're also carriers of the grace of Christ. In a very real sense, as God always does, he takes something very ordinary, the water The bread, the juice. He takes something that's very ordinary, ordinary physical elements, and makes something extraordinary from them. That's what God does. He takes the ordinary. When Jesus first implemented baptism around, I'm sorry, communion around the table, he took what they had, the food at the table, something ordinary, something physical, and it became extraordinary that's kind of why we as a church have adopted the mission statement of ordinary people following Jesus. Because the truth is, is we're all just very ordinary people. We're very ordinary. But we believe with God's presence, with God at work in and through us, we become extraordinary. So in a very real way, the participation in the sacraments is representative of that idea that God takes the ordinary, the physical, and makes it extraordinary. It's a carrier of the spiritual, a carrier of grace. Unfortunately, sometimes we tend to view our sacraments as simply symbolic or memorial. But to simply view our sacraments as, as memorial or symbolic in nature, I think, is to miss out on such a rich truth that they are the vehicles by which we find ourselves in the transforming presence of Jesus. Our sacraments are a means of grace. If you, uh, if you braved the fog on Christmas Eve, which was really difficult to do, um, if you braved the fog on Christmas Eve and you came to our Christmas Eve service, then this will certainly sound familiar to you. But when we participate in communion, we do more than just remember Christ, we do more than simply jog our memory about who Christ was and what Christ did. We, the way that we remember, there's a there's a, a term that we use, it's called anamnesis. And it's this kind of uh, interesting take on memory. It's much more than just a, a triggering in the mind, but it's a memory that transpla- transports you to kind of a, a, a memory that you have. So uh, a, a certain smell, uh, baked, fresh baked bread. Now I will, I got to give you guys a, uh, uh, a disclaimer here. First service, Right before first service started, I baked this bread back in the back with the bread maker, and the entire sanctuary was filled with the aroma of baked bread. And it was really cool because it really hammered home this point that I was making here of of talking about smelling bread. The smell didn't last because people were in and out. So you just have to pretend that it smells like bread in here, okay? Can you do that? All right. But the same way a certain smell of baked bread or a baked apple pie will take you and transport you in your mind back to a very real moment in time and location, that's the kind of memory remembering that we're talking about. Not just triggering something in our mind, but that we are in a very real way there. We're taken back to that time of that, of that smell or of that sight or of that sound, The remembering of Christ through communion is much more than just remembering. It's this idea that the presence of Christ is here with us when we do that. So when we baptize, we believe that Jesus is just as present as he was when he was baptized himself by his cousin John in the river. In communion, we believe that when we gather together at the table with these ordinary elements, that Jesus is just as present here with us as he was when he first broke bread with his disciples in the upper room. And you know what I've come to believe? That when the presence of Jesus is there, transformation takes place. When Jesus is present, transformation happens. So a sacrament is that outward sign, uh, an ordinary, simple, physical element of an inward grace. But it's more than just that sign. It is a vehicle of that transforming grace. Our sacraments, baptism and communion are a means of grace. Over the next five weeks, four after this week, we're going to look at five different images of communion. Kind of the the best way to describe what communion is is thinking that, we, that we've we've come up with is is thinking through these with these five different images. So first today we're going to look at at communion as celebration. This idea that we are giving thanks to the Father. Then next week we're going to look at uh, communion and it's cost. We're going to remember the cost, the, the sacrifice of Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth, to be God with us, Emmanuel, to walk alongside us. We're going to look at the cost of Christ. Week three, we're going to look at the call. When we do this, when we are on this journey, it it's not something that costs us nothing. There is a call. There's a sacrifice of, of ourselves that is required. Then we're going to take a look at communion as connection, simply the fellowship of the faithful, gathering together with, with the bride of Christ at the table. And then finally, we're going to look at communion as as the coming, the foretaste of the kingdom that is to come. And so, since we believe that communion transforms, the question that we're going to ask each week will be this: What is being formed in us? through that particular image of communion. This week, we're going to talk about celebration. Communion as celebration. Now, we find ourselves in the midst of a very celebratory season, right? Just over a month ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving, This past week, we celebrated Christmas. Coming up this week, we celebrate New Year's Eve, going into the New Year's. It's celebration time, and if you're a fellow parent of a young child, chances are you're like, can we just be done with the celebrations yet? Right? Because my kids need a little bit of normalcy. Is my littlest one sleeping back there, Brent? Okay, yeah. He has been a mess with all of the celebrations. So I just want some normalcy In my life, but we've been in the midst of this celebratory season. Communion for us is an opportunity for us to celebrate on a regular basis, to gather together with our family, to celebrate together on a regular basis. In fact, Eucharist comes from a Greek term that really means to be thankful. To be thankful. And so we we call it Eucharist. Now, there are four different accounts uh, in the New Testament where Jesus is kind of uh, implementing this idea of communion, breaking the bread with his disciples. There's four different accounts of Jesus doing that. I'm not going to read all of those, but I just want to read just a snippet from Matthew 26. It says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. All four of the New Testament accounts of Jesus doing this action have this very important detail. What did Jesus do before he handed out the elements? Interaction there. He gave thanks. Excellent, excellent. He gave thanks. But these times of breaking bread, they weren't just a general attitude of thanksgiving. They gave thanks in joyful celebration. In fact, Scripture seems to suggest that uh, this posture of joyful celebration was a natural occurrence when Christ followers, when Christians in the early church gathered together to eat together. In Acts 2, uh, you remember in Acts 2.42 and on, they talk about the early church and the things that they did, and in the last part of that, it says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. It was a good time when they gathered together to eat together. We have a chance to do this as a church family tonight at the family table. Again, what time is that? Five o'clock, all right? church is providing subs. You just bring a cider and dessert. Five o'clock over in the, in the Family Life Center. And we have a chance to do this, to gather together in joyful celebration of each other and of our, our following of Christ that holds us together. We have an opportunity to do that. We have fun. We celebrate together. One of the unfortunate turns in the progression of Christian practice, though, has been the turning of communion into a solemn and mournful occasion. Now we can certainly understand maybe the trajectory that led it to go that way, because in a very real way we're we're thinking about and we're remembering the gruesome events that Christ went through on Good Friday. So it's no wonder how we how we can see how it, it went it turned to that kind of mournful and downer occasion. But the truth is, it wasn't until the late Middle Ages that that shift began to take place. Prior to that, it was a festive occasion. To steal from Staples, the author of the book that I mentioned, he said it was a fiesta, not a funeral. Communion as a fiesta and not a funeral. It was just as much a celebration of Easter Sunday as it was of Good Friday. It was a family meal, a time that should be joyful. As we'll see in a later week in this series, it's also a foretaste of this this idea of this heavenly banquet when we're all seated together at the table partaking in a feast, and that will be joyful. But why was it a celebration? Well, first, they were following the lead and the example of Jesus and giving thanks before breaking the bread. But also, I think there was no doubt an influence of the Jewish traditions. When did Jesus lead the first communion? It was at the table at a celebration of what? Passover, yes. You guys are getting this interaction thing down. It was at the table at a Passover celebration. The time where Jews participated in festivals to celebrate God's beautiful redemptive acts, where they remembered the ancient story about how God preserved the lives of his people. So, in the Eucharist, in communion, we, as Christ followers, proclaim and celebrate the work of God. We proclaim and celebrate the grace of God, his love his reconciliation, his redemption, his upheaval upheaval of the kingdom of the world and his implementing of the kingdom of heaven, his victory over sin and grave, his restoration of broken people and broken relationships, his making all things new. And the songs that we sang this morning so beautifully uh, illustrated all that God has done for us. That even in the morning when the pain is not away, God is still with us because he's faithful. And when we look back from the mountaintop and we we survey where we've been, we can say that God has never once left us. And if that's not a reason to celebrate, then I don't know what is. We celebrate what God is doing now and we celebrate what God is going to do. This is why communion is celebration. So this morning, let's celebrate together. Each week through this series, we're going to end the service in communion. It's my prayer that this time, every week, is a time of celebration. The kids are with us this week. It's a fifth Sunday. That means the kids are in here uh, in the sanctuary. Have you all ever Paid attention to the kids on a communion Sunday, like when we're serving communion. It is not a mournful and solemn occasion for the kids. Because speaking from experience in my kids, when they see, for me, it's on my kitchen counter, when they see the bottle of grape juice and this loaf of bread. They know what that means. They know it's Communion Sunday and they are super happy because they get to eat a little bit of bread and some grape juice. Now, do they understand exactly what all is happening here and, and what all we're, we're talking about? No. Do I? Probably not. <laughs> but their excitement and their celebration that we get to participate in communion together is beautiful. May we have that same attitude as we partake in communion these next several weeks. Amy, you guys can come on up and, and start playing as we prepare to take communion. I also want to mention this. Because we believe that communion is a means of grace, there is no restriction of when it is appropriate for someone to take communion. The only requirement for this is a willingness to receive that grace. A willingness to receive the grace through communion. No requirement. We, we, we have an open table policy. There's no other requirements other than you're willing to receive the grace of Christ. So for kids, parents with kids, you don't have to worry about if the kids are ready. For adults, you don't have to worry about whether or not you're ready or worthy of or deserving, This is a means of grace, which by definition means that we're not worthy or deserving. So it's not about waiting until we've got it all figured out or waiting until we're worthy or deserving. This is a means of grace. God gives grace upon grace upon grace, regardless of where we're at. So let's receive this this morning in celebration. We're going to, uh, in just a second, I'm going to invite you uh, to, to partake in communion. And when we do that, we're going to just dismiss from the back rows and you're going to walk up to the front. And we're going to do this by intinction, which means that you're just going to grab a piece of bread from the loaf and dip it into the, the cup. And then you can eat it right there and then go back around uh, to your to your chairs. Um, and 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 then we will continue Singing, but before we do, oh, and also we do have gluten-free elements in the in the center here. If you need that, there's uh, the uh, gluten-free and also grape juice there. But before we do that, um, would you allow me to? Uh, I'm going to take just a little uh, a little bit of liturgy from an ancient Christian document known as the Didache, and and as we prepare to take uh, to partake in communion, uh, would you just kind of reflect as I read this? prayer of thanksgiving, and then as soon as I'm done, I will invite you to come partake in communion. We thank you, our Father, for the holy vine of David, your child, which you have revealed through Jesus, your child, to you be the glory forever. We thank you, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you have revealed through Jesus, your child, to you be the glory forever. As this piece of bread was scattered over the hills and then brought together and made one, so let your church be brought together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Would you stand? And then the back rows, you guys can go ahead and come forward and receive communion.